This podcast is a presentation of Gateway Fellowship, Paulsville, Washington. Experience community, find hope. Check us out at gatewayfellowship.com. I think, I think honestly, um, I think their wedding was like the largest wedding I've ever attended. I mean, so many of you were here, and a part of that was just incredibly fantastic. So anyway, that's Jamie, our youth pastor. My name is Tom, if we've never met, and I get to serve on the team here. When we talk about the team at Gateway, and I say that, not just talking about the pastoral staff or the people you see on the stage here, but we include teachers in our schools, um, include our plant team, include our support team, include, there's about 160 of us around that make up this, this team. But it isn't just those who serve on that, it's all of you as well. Um, together, our purpose is to make the name of Jesus famous, yes? That's why we do what we do and to make disciples everywhere. So thank you for coming. Thank you for being a part of, of the day. Just take a moment, turn to your neighbor and go, hey, how are you doing? You look good today. Say something nice. Will you do that right now? All right. There you go. Okay, that's enough. That's enough. You're being too nice now. Okay, so uh, on the way out, give you opportunity to make a brand new friend. And I hope what you do um, when you leave is like, don't just rush out. Just don't rush out. Um, make a new friend, even if it's a friend that you thought you met, but you don't remember the name. It's okay to say, I don't remember your name, and then do that. Okay, how many ever played as a kid, follow the leader? You did? How many demanded to be the leader? Oh, few of you are being honest. How many hated that game? Yeah, okay, even a few of you there right there. So we played follow the leader, right? And someone takes you somewhere, and maybe you got lost, maybe, maybe not, maybe it all turned out okay, but all of a sudden you were following this person. They were leading you, you somewhere. How many have ever played follow the leader as an adult? Raise your hand. See, only a few of you, but I bet, I bet more, more than just a few, more than just a few, right? Let, let me ask it this way right here. Here it is right here. How many... Um, have ever followed someone or their wisdom and found out it was all wrong. Okay, yeah. So, so you, you, you talk to somebody and say, hey, no, just do, do this. Do it this way. Do it this way. And, and all of a sudden, um, what you discovered was like, well, that didn't work out so well, right? And you were, you were sorry that, that you actually, actually did. And maybe that turned into something that was not so good in your life. Maybe it was just a humorous thing. I don't know. I was um, following somebody, but not by design. I was driving my car, and I was in some zone somewhere. I don't know what it was, but I was kind of fixated on this car. I don't even know who was driving it or even know who owned the car. But I found myself going down the highway um, following this, this person uh, in the car, and wherever they went, I went. I know it sounds kind of crazy, but they, they turned into the turn lane, and so what did I do? I turned into the turn lane. And, and uh, then they turned into a parking lot, and I turned into the parking lot. When it finally occurred to me what I was doing, I thought, what in the world am I doing here? And I had to find my way out of the parking lot and then kind of come back to my senses and make my way home. I ended up following somebody, going somewhere that I really, really didn't want to do. And I began to think about that whole thing, you know, follow the leader and following people and then discovering that it was, that it was all wrong. And I thought, I wonder if there's... Wonder if there's an example in the Bible of a group of people who, who did this and found out it was all wrong. And I found myself kind of thinking through um, 
the various scripture passages and so on. And then I remembered Saul. Now, if you're a Bible reader, you know Saul eventually became Paul, right, when, when he met Jesus. But as, as Saul, um, he was persecuting Christians. He was um, 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 sending them to their, to their death. In fact, when he was before King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, this, way, this is his own testimony now. He's Paul at this point when he's before Agrippa, but he's referring back to his life as Saul, and he's saying this, I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. That, that was his life. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priests, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. That's who he was. That was the Saul, who is now Paul before Agrippa. His life consisted of persecuting Christians and sending them to their death. And I got to think about his life. I go, what about, what about the people around him? Because if you read the biblical narrative, something happened to Saul when he, he met Jesus. And the Bible says a light from heaven caused him to fall to the ground. But he wasn't there alone. In fact, only in two passages in, in the book of Acts, which is the historical book of, of the New Testament, only in two passages are these guys mentioned. One, on the road to Damascus, and this is what the Bible says in that narrative, verse number seven, the men who were traveling with him stood speechless. They go like, what's going on here? They stood speechless. And then Paul refers to these men in Acts 26, that narrative that we just read before Agrippa, and he only refers to, the, to them as the, those who journeyed with him. And they were these. Here they were following Saul in his mission to persecute Christians and to put them to death, followers of Saul. And then all of a sudden, something happens. Saul meets Jesus, and those around him stood speechless. Maybe their thinking was, what's going on here? We heard this voice, what's going on? We've been following you. We've been doing as you do. They believed that he was right. They felt he was right. And all of a sudden, they discovered that they've been going the wrong way. It was all wrong. And they, they, they stood their speeches. Now, no one really knows what, happens, what happened to these group of guys. No one really knows for sure because the Bible really doesn't talk about it um, beyond those two references. But there's some thinking that would have been natural for some of them to have converted with Saul, right? Some of them likely did when they were a part of that event. Some perhaps were angry and uh, upset, feeling like they were on the, the right mission. I mean, we were going the right way, and now we discover that you have been leading us all the wrong way. And so they discovered that in their life, and perhaps some of them continued persecuting. We don't, we don't really, really know, but here's what I'd like for us to do if we can. It's like to look at, at that event um, and similar events through our own lens, the lens of our our own self. And here's what I mean for that, by that. It's just this right here. Sometimes the person we are following is me, not he. Think about that for a second. Let just kind of sit like, sometimes the person I'm following, it's me, and it's not he. Sometimes the person I'm following, my own desires, my own passions, 
um, my own life, right? Because like you only live life once, right? So uh, sometimes the person I'm following is, is me. I'm going to live this life for myself, not he that is Jesus. Red Pen Logic, I don't know, Mr. B, if that rings a bell with anybody, but he's an apologist I follow. He said this way, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but only believe what Jesus believes as long as he agrees with you, then you are not following Jesus. You're following yourself. I'm going to leave it up there for a second because that's really good. Just think about it again. If, if, you're a, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, in fact, when Jesus called the disciples, what did he say to them? Follow me, right? So it was a change of life. When fishermen responded to that call, what did they do? They stopped doing what they were doing, and they began doing this. So they, they left this, and they followed Jesus. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, but only believe what Jesus believes, as long as he agrees with you. In other words, like, okay, God, I agree with that. Therefore, I'm going to follow you. But I don't agree with this. Then you are not following Jesus, but you are following yourself. You see, following Jesus is not just believing in Jesus. There are a lot of people who believe in Jesus. I mean, they, they do it like he was a good guy. He was a good teacher. <clears throat> there, there were a lot of people who did, but following Jesus is not just believing in Jesus. Many, many believe. And so this is going to challenge some of us probably. But James chapter 2, we read this. You believe that there is one God? That's good. Guess what? Even the demons believe that and shudder. So they believe, they believe in God, but believing and following are two different things. And so we've been talking about our Jesus DNA in this series called DNA. And what, what some have called is an upside-down way of living. Now let me explain that for just a moment. Because, because the, the gospel of Luke has been described as an upside-down gospel, meaning we are called to a brand new life. We are, we are called to something different. To, uh, to follow Jesus doesn't always make sense to our human minds. Where our human ways desire one thing, Jesus checks that and he goes, no, follow me. And we're to give all of our life to him. Our value system will be different and the way we live it out will be different. So the things that we value as humans, and we naturally kind of value certain things, don't they? But Jesus says, no, I want you to bring those things that you value, those things that you live for, those passions and those desires, and bring them under my lordship. And sometimes that confronts our human desires, yes? Because humanly we were like, well, I'm not so sure about that. I think I want to live out my life this way. But Jesus, I'm calling you to something different. And our value system will be, will be different, and the way we live it out will be different. It won't always make sense to ourselves and for sure to those who are watching. Like, why do you do what you do? Why do you do that? Why do you foster kids? Why do you, why do you, why do, you do it? Because Jesus has called me to do that. Why do you give like you, because Jesus has called me to do it. I know, does it make sense? No, it doesn't make sense. Why do you, why do, you do that? Why, why? Because that's what he's called me to do. We're followers of Jesus. So why do you give up a Saturday and cook meals for the homeless or the needy? Well, because Jesus has called me to do that. Why do you serve? Because Jesus has called me to do that. Doesn't always, doesn't always make, make sense. Our value system is different. Why? Because we have a brand new DNA, right? We have a Jesus DNA. So when we were 
born, we were born with a DNA. We've talked about that. And we have characteristics and traits that we, that we have received, you know, as part of that. But when we're born again, when we become a follower of Jesus, we have a brand new DNA, and now we live different as a result. So let me just do a quick review. Or oh, last number of weeks now, I just encourage you, um, if, you, if you want to catch up on the series, go back and go to our website, and you can do that. But week one, we talked about people of the Word. So if you're brand new, we weren't here for that week, we said, look, we are people who stand on biblical truth. Amen. And if the Bible says this, then this is where we stand. And we may not understand it, and humanly we might not even like it, but the Bible is truth, and we stand on biblical truth. Then we talked about people of community. So we gather together. So the Bible calls us to gather together. Like what you're doing this morning, you ought to give yourself a hand because we're living this thing out right here. So people of, of community. So um, um, the gospel unites us. The gospel brings us together from different walks of life, different experiences, different journeys. Some of us received Jesus very early in life. Some of us had, you know, a life that looked like whatever. And when we were older, we came to faith. But it's the one thing that unites us. And so we gather in community. Then people of commitment. So Mario and I team taught that day. We said, look, we are asking people to take a brand new step in the membership if you've not done that already. You go like, whoa, members? Yeah. Um, it's a step of commitment. Say, I belong to this community and I'm taking a brand new step and becoming a member because as I described on that Sunday, members help to provide the guardrails and protect from doctrinal shift. Because we need that today, right? It's not just the pastoral staff. It's, it's all of us coming together because there are churches um, that are shifting doctrinally and walking away from the truth of the Word, the truth of the Bible. And we need to stand together. And so next Sunday, following the 1030 gathering and following the 9 o'clock, we're having a membership information meeting. So if this is your church, that I'm, I'm asking you to come and check it out. Because you walk in the door of that meeting, we're going to go, oh, Bam, you're a member. It doesn't work that way, but we're going to tell you what that's more like. Okay, people of, of commitment. Then uh, last week we talked about people of praise. That we, we lift the name of Jesus, the one who has given so generously towards us. We were people without hope. Now we have hope. People uh, destined for an eternity without Jesus. Now we spend eternity with Jesus. He, God, sent his son into the world to die for you and die for me. And I encourage us, like, think of the whole world, but think of you personally. That's the generosity of our God that loved you. He chose you. He selected you to be with him forever. Generosity. And so today, we're talking about this. People, people of practice. People of practice. We want to talk about what that looks like because of this. Ready? I want you all to say it with me. Generosity. Yeah, so generosity that we have all received begets generosity and launches us into a generous lifestyle in numbers of ways. In other words, we don't live closed-handed. We live open-handed. Generosity begets generosity. In the early church, there was no me. I'll explain that in a second. Well, um, there was a bit of me in Acts chapter 5, and we're not going to go in there, Ananias and Sapphira. And when it became about me, well, they were struck dead. Now, that, I'm not suggesting that's going to happen. 
Okay, don't fear that. But I see generally in the early church, it wasn't about me. It was about we because of he. It was about we because of he. What we discover is that following Jesus, living our, our Jesus DNA impacts every area of our life, and the outcome is to live open-handed. Living out our Jesus DNA will change how we live. It will impact every area of our life, and the outcome is I'm no longer living close-handed. It's no longer about me. It's about he, and it's about we, open-handed. Here it is, Acts chapter 2. It's, it's a familiar passage to, to many. Uh, again, Acts is the historical book of the New Testament, verses 42 to 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were, were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. It's not about me, it's about he, and it's about we had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all of the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You see what's going on here. Suddenly, this Jesus life became about this. It was not about me. It's about we because of he. Now, I've had people say, you know, we as a church, we just, we got to get back to the New Testament church. And I say, okay, you go first. Sell your home, give all your possessions, and we'll distribute those. Now, we're going to talk about what it looks like to live it out within our, our time here within with our, with our culture, but there was a brand new DNA that was living out here. Do you ever feel like when you read a Bible passage like that, or when maybe someone's teaching um, in a certain way, you ever feel like, oh, I've made so many mistakes, right? And, and, and God, God is, um, he's just up there with a big old hammer ready to sentence me somewhere. You ever feel that way? Yeah, we, I think we all prob probably do. It, I mean, Honestly, it could even look, it might look like this. You shout like that, baby. You're stealing, right to jail. You're playing music too loud, right to jail, right away. You're driving too fast, jail. Slow, jail. You're charging too high prices for sweaters, glasses. You right to jail. You undercook fish, believe it or not, jail. You overcook chicken, also jail. Undercook, overcook. You make an appointment with a dentist and you don't show up, believe it or not, jail, right away. We have the best patients in the world because of jail. There you go right there. So, yes, yeah, jail. So here, here's what I say. You eat lutefisk, jail, right away, jail. That's it right there, jail, jail. But, I mean, honestly, so I just want to say all of us at ease, like, we're all working this life out, right? We're also human. And so we also make mistakes too, don't we? We talk about that. We talk about, look, my, my, my passion and my heart for Gateway is for people to understand, well, we're not the perfect church, man. We are, we are working it out. We do make mistakes, but I pray we can be healthy and a healthy community, a healthy follower of Jesus, looks to the Lord, depends on the Lord, and go, look, I made, made a mistake. Now you do your work through me. This is called living open-handed. And so 
Generosity begets generosity. And this morning, I want to talk to you in the next few minutes about two areas of, of generosity. And I'm going to start with the most most that with the most easiest one first with the easiest one first and then we're going to go to the harder one and here it is stewardship of resources you go whoa whoa wait a minute that's hard and now he's going for my pocketbook right um no i'm not but jesus is so we're going to talk about that okay so stewardship of 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 resources and i want to talk to you about it because that's talk it's it's about living open-handed and then we're going to get to the most difficult you go like wait a minute when you talk about my money now, that's, that's difficult, and that's hard, and I, and I get that. Um, I get that the difficulty from going from this to this in our finances. I had one guy one time, years ago, they, he attended uh, one of our gatherings, and uh, he said, all you do is talk about giving money. And I said, how, how long have you been attending? He goes, this is my first week. <laughs> well, I <laughs> Maybe so. I mean, we do, we do talk about, about giving because I believe that Jesus calls us to live that way. So stewardship of resources. Let's start with the easy one first, and it's this one. Paul, Paul is talking about this, this principle, and he's, he's in 2 Corinthians chapter, chapter, chapter 9, at least in my Bible, it's, it's titled The Cheerful Giver. So my thing is like when we talk about giving a gateway, we all ought to be happy and clap and, and go yay. Not now, not yet. I'm going to give you a chance later, okay? But here it is. Paul's writing. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will, will also reap bountifully. Now, let me just stop right there, because when we talk about giving financially, and I'll use the word tithing. That's the way I was taught. We don't give to get. We don't give so God will bless us. But the reality is there's a biblical principle here that he blesses us. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart. Everybody say heart. Heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. So not because I say, okay, now we're going to take the offering. That's under compulsion, right? It's not because someone told you. It's because it comes from our, our heart. For God loves a cheerful giver. Paul's words to us. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As is written, he he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. We're talking about a generous God. And generosity begets generosity but then paul goes on to say this in verse number 13 second corinthians chapter 9 by their approval of this service they will glorify god because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others see paul is talking about this he's given us the biblical principle of, of of stewarding our resources in such a way that the lord is honored when, why talk about generosity? Why talk about finances? Um, why do we receive offerings, you know, in giving boxes and on, on it every week? Why do we do that? Because Jesus talked about it. And he talked about it this way. He goes, like, it's, it's like actually connected to your heart. Financial stewardship is a heart matter. It's not your checkbook. It, it's not your wallet. It's not 
It's, not, it's, it's all about the heart. And so it's right to say that when a person talks about giving, we're really talking about, hey, where's your heart? Is your heart right with God? In fact, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your what? Heart will be also. So I was going to put something in my, in my notes here. About, about the heart, and I thought, no, I'm not going to do that because, you know, I don't, I don't want to, people to get mad. And then I, th- then, so I'm going to tell you what I was going to put in my heart, in my notes that I didn't because I thought you might get mad. And here's why I was going to say, was if your heart right now is getting angry, that's not my problem. You got a problem with Jesus. Don't leave me. Don't leave. I'm, I will watch and see if anyone walks out. Believe me. It's a, it's a, you got a problem with Jesus. It's, n- it's not me. Because a few verses later, <laughs> it's going to get harder before it gets better, okay? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money at the same time. One of, see, see why, why we call it an upside-down kingdom, why, why we say our, our value system as followers of Jesus is completely different with this brand-new DNA because the world says what? Give me, give me, give me. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. That's not how we live. We live th- this way. David in uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 29 talks about this. He says, for all that is in heaven and earth is yours. So here's what giving is, recognizes this, all God's anyway, and when we live open-handed with our finances, we are giving back to God what he already owns. And that's, that's borne out in Scripture time and time, time again. Financial giving recognizes we are giving back to God what he has given us, and the good news is what we've already talked about, God blesses us as a result, but we don't give to get. We walk in obedience to him. So Mark, Mark Carden, who serves as the executive pastor, gives us a biblical pathway to giving. And I want to share a couple of things that he says, and I want to add my own, my own comments to, to it. It's just a three-step step way of, of, of living this out, of, of, of living open-handed in our finances. And he says this, we begin with give. Make giving the first priority in your budget. Now, for some of us, we already do that, and we do that in incredible, generous ways. And so, for others of us, we're going to start. God desires to be first. When you, when you give of your first fruits, you are making a statement of the place that he occupies in your heart. That's what you're doing. Proverbs chapter, 20, uh, chapter 3, verses 9 through 10, Honor the Lord with your wealth and with your first fruits of all of your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Now, there's the principle again. As we honor the Lord, he returns to us and he blesses us. My mom taught uh, all five of her kids, and most of you know my story. She was raised by a single mom, that we, that we tithe. This is what we do. And we lived this way. And so my first job was, um, w- was cleaning the shop that she was a barber in. I got paid five bucks a week. And mom says 50 cents goes to the Lord. And so like from my very first job, five dollars a week, I learned this principle of, of tithing. And, and uh, never left it. In fact, we tithe and then we, we give offerings. So I wouldn't ask you to do something I don't do myself. 
And as I look back in my life, honestly, um, God has blessed us in so many ways, I, I can't even understand it. Now, we raised two kids. We walk, we walk through all of the hard, hardships, you know, the financial um, stresses that m- many of you are in right now, especially as, as young family. And we walk through braces. We go like, how in the world are we going to pay for braces? Right? Um, how in the world are we going to afford college? And some of you are there right now. How are we going to do that? How are we going to provide for this or this or this? And then we look back like, I don't know, I don't know how it worked out. I don't know how. But somehow God did. I remember when we were facing both braces in, in college, um, one of the other team members on the staff here said, hey, I don't know how, but it just works out. And I don't know how, but it just works out. But I believe it's tied into, into honoring Christ. Work it out. For some, it begins with a certain percentage with a commitment to reaching a goal. So I talk about tithing, I talk about 10%. But for some, it's going to start at 1% or 2% because you're just getting started. And I go like, honor the Lord and just say, Lord, as, as, as you allow me to, I will increase that. So number one, we give. Number two, we save. And some of us have to be better at that. God wants us to save for the future and to be wise with our money. Make saving the second priority in, in your budget. This is good financial advice. Oh man, yes, yes it is. Proverbs chapter 21, 20, precious treasure and oil are in a wise man's dwelling, but a foolish man devours it. So what's the wisdom of the Proverbs going like? Foolish man just spends everything, doesn't save for anything, right? So that's, that's a principle I believe is biblically based. So we give, we save, and then the, the next one, you're going to love this and hand clap, live on the rest. There you go right there. So live on the rest of what God has given you we learn to manage our spending and commitments in a way that honors the Lord. Still living open-handed. Okay, I just got a little bit of time to get to the hardest one. Are you ready? The stewardship of resource, it's easy. It really is. Just give your money with the heart. But this one right here, stewardship of opportunities, is really going to challenge us. But I believe it comes out of this generous life that you and I are, 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 are called to. Our value system will be different. You remember, remember last week um, I shared with you Romans 12, or last couple of weeks, um, and at least in my Bible again, it says these are the marks of a Christian. Paul says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with a brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. I mean, it's not hard yet really. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. But then he gets to this one part. And, and this, is, this is hard. And it says, bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. How are we doing? You see, here, here's what I know, that many of us, when we talk about persecution, we, we, are, we, are, we don't experience death yet, maybe never, I don't know. Sometimes we associate persecution um, with physical death, but there's different kinds of persecution that you face and that I face. And Paul says, you bless those who persecute you, and you do not curse them. 
Paul's injunction to bless persecutors rather than curse them no doubt goes back to the teaching of Jesus and the example of his lifestyle, Jesus' lifestyle, and clearly manifested in his life during the trial and suffering on the cross. When that's what we saw. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they, what they do. What we read here is not a do as I say, not as I, I do type of, of teaching. Jesus taught us by example, and it's to be followed and lived out by his followers. We bless those who persecute us, and we do not curse them. To persecute means to pursue. Persecution takes various forms in, in your life and, in, and in, in my life. It runs the gamut from verbal abuse, being ostracized socially on social media, and sometimes it results in death to believers around the world. But so when we talk about verbal persecution, verbal abuse, maybe being, being um, uh, abused online in our great social media um, climate culture that, that we're in, you know what it's like. Maybe you live in a home and it's hostile, a bit hostile in, in your home or maybe in your job or in your workplace or someone knows that you're a follower of Jesus and so they have certain things to say to that. And I know what it's like, um, the online thing. I, I get that and by extension gateway as well, you, you have and it's not just us and it's not, not just me, but we know, we know what it's like. And the hardest thing it is um, to, it, the hardest thing to live out is this. Bless those who persecute you and don't curse them. It's easy to get money, man. It's, that is easy. But like when I, I see my name in certain things, I go like, the last thing I want to do is bless you. <laughs> the last thing I want to do is go, hey, bless you. I want to curse you. I mean, that's, that's the human way, right? That, that's what we want to do humanly, but Jesus said, no, don't do that. Follow me. My spirit lives in you, and I will actually give you the ability to live this out. Think about it for a second. I'll give you my money. But that right there, and you're in the workplace, and you're in homes, and you're out in the marketplace, and people know who you are, and the result, you, you suffer these things. <laughs> There's an example in, in the Bible, I'm going to close with this, it's actually going to bring us full circle here. Is the example of, of Stephen who lived this out as he was dying. And, and I begin to think about Stephen's death in the Bible in Acts chapter 7. I go like, I can't, even, I can't even get my mind around that one. He's being stoned to death. Can you just imagine being in a pit and someone hitting you with a rock? Think of, I mean like, what kind of death is that? I mean, like, you're throwing rocks at me? I'm going to throw a rock back at you. You hit me in the head, I'm going to hit you in the head. Think, think, this is what's going on. 
Now when they heard these things, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him, Stephen. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, because that's the only way that we can live this out, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. I think that's incredible. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out even with a louder voice, loud voice, and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And guess what? As he's dying, as he's suffering this at the hands of these, here's what he says. Falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. Lord, don't, don't hold this sin against them. Lord, would you bring them to yourself? Would they experience forgiveness as I have experienced? Would they experience the generosity of God, the Father, as I have experienced? Would, would they do that? Could you bring them to that point? And the reality is, some did. I know. And guess who Stephen is going to connect with in heaven? Or did? Those who were throwing stones. It's interesting. I said we began with Saul in Acts 9, who became Paul. Turn the page here to Acts chapter 8, verse 1. And what do we see in Saul? approved of his execution. There was Saul. And I ask you, do you think that Saul was impacted by Stephen's life? Do you think so? Do you think Saul heard Stephen say, Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against them. Do you think those words impacted it? Yes, I think they did. The stoning of Stephen and Saul's involvement was a catalyst to his conversion. It marked a turning point in his own life, lending to the question of his previous actions and belief. Yes, it did. So you see why I think this is harder than our finances, but it's the life that Jesus calls you and me to. And I will tell you, there's, there's opportunities today. There's, there's oppor and there's opportunities in my life. And there's opportunities in your life. Say, God, would you just bless those? I don't want to curse them, and so I'm not going to. And could you, through your grace and through your mercy, could you just bring them to yourself? so we can be in fellowship together. That's so hard. And humanly, you can't do it, and humanly, I can't do it. And this is why the Bible says, full of the Holy Spirit, Stephen did it. It's the only life we can live, full of the Holy Spirit. And so, I just have one thing for you. And I'm, I'm so thankful you, you hung on for just a little bit. It, my last word to you before we take communion together. It's just this right here. Just be like Stephen. <laughs> be like Stephen. Like, so when you're, when you're suffering these things, just, just be like Stephen. Just step out and be like Stephen. Just go, Father, bless them. Do your work in their life. Just be like Stephen. Why? 
because of what Jesus did for you and me on the cross. So we're going to gather around communion table. I hope you picked up your communion elements. If not, it's okay. Just join, join with us at home. You can do the same. But this is, this is what makes all of this possible. God's generosity to you and me. And so we're going to take the bread together and then the cup. And then I'm going to pray. This is his body that was broken for you and for me. That we might be made whole in every way. Let's take the bread together. And then his cup, his blood that was shed for you and me, this is the generosity of God. His life poured out for you and poured out for me. Let's take it together, shall we? Father, we are so thankful for all that you have done. We don't understand it from our human minds. And this life that you have called us to, we can't do on our own. We need you. And I'm thankful for the spirit that lives in each and every one of us. It enables us to do the hard things, to do the things that you have called us to do as followers. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together, shall we?
Speak. 